a good week. And of course, we want to welcome those that are joining from one of our campuses, maybe here in the States, in Austin, Italy, Mozambique. But then we also have VIP campuses located in 13 correctional facilities. And we found out this week that now broadcasting to every one of those that are behind bars in the Williamson County Jail are having the opportunity to be able to watch Celebration Church. And so we're grateful for that. Come on, let's say hello to everybody joining us. Good to have you guys. And those that are at home in their underwear. God bless you. We're glad that you're with us. So I have to tell you, I think many, many of you, especially my UT fans, they need a little something to laugh about. So Boudreaux, I, I don't know if you know, but Lori and I, we moved here from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We actually pastored in Pierre Park, Louisiana, Napoleonville, Plottenville, where Boudreaux and Thibodeau are from. These are Cajuns. And uh, so these are two stories. And so Boudreaux... He rushed into uh, Dr. Thibodeau's office, and uh, he was carrying his little pet duck, and he, he gently placed the pet duck on the exam table, and, and of course, the duck is just laying there all limp and not moving, and he says, uh, Boudreaux said, Dr. Dr. Thibodeau, he says, man, he says, I need you to do something with my duck. He said, look at my duck. He says, my duck is not moving. He hadn't moved for a couple of days, yeah, and he said, uh, I need you to heal. I need you to heal my duck. And so Dr. Thibodeau, he looked at the duck, and he just shook his head. He said, Boudreaux, he said, man, he said, I hate to tell you. He said, but I got good news, and I got bad news. He said, what is it? He says, what's the bad news? He said, well, the bad news is your duck is dead. He says, uh, but the good news is you could have a good roux here in about an hour, but that's, that's another, <laughs> another joke. He said, Doc, you've got to do something. He says, you just can't let my duck die. Run a test. Do all those fancy tests that I hear about over there in New Orleans, you know. And so the doctor, Thibodeau, he says, okay. So the doctor, he, uh, he whistled a, in a large black Labrador retriever. And the, duck jumped up, or the dog jumped up on the table, and he began to sniff the duck from all sides. And then he looked at the doctor, and that dog, he just started shaking his head. He said, no, he's dead. He said, he's dead. <laughs> and so uh, Boudreaux said, man, do something else. He goes, okay, there's another test. And so he, he called in. Made a clicking sound, and all of a sudden, here comes this big old gray alley cat. And the cat jumped up on the table, and he looked at that duck, and he turned to the doctor, and that cat looked and said, "He dead. He, he dead." So Boudreau, he says, "I got bad news for you." He says, "Your duck is dead." Doctor Thibodeau, he says, "You got to do something." He goes, "There's nothing I can do." He says, "You owe me hundred and twenty-five dollars." What? Just to tell me that my duck is dead? He said, I told you 10 minutes ago that your duck was dead. That would have been $10. But then he says, you demanded a lab work and a CAT scan. And he said, that's $125. Anyway. How many have ever felt like you got that kind of treatment? For five grand, you got a lab work and a CAT scan. So I want to thank you. Of course, before I go any further, I want to thank our veterans. Can we have all of our veterans? Would you please stand? All of our veterans. Come on, give it up for them. Let's thank God for them. Come on, stay up. Remain standing for just a moment. But we want to honor you today. We want to honor you for your service, and we also want to honor your families because we know the spouses and the children suffered and also had to great, pay a great price. Can we just thank God for the families of our veterans as well? 
And I want to pray for you, but I also want to read this scripture to you in the book of Romans, chapter 16. This is what I think about you, and this is how I, how I revere you. He says, Paul writes, who for my life, or for our lives, if you will, they risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches. And when I think about you veterans, you've risked your life, and we give thanks to you. And not only we, but our country gives thanks to you, for you are willing to lay down your life. There's some 2.8 million in uniform today serving us. Can we just also thank God for our present military men and women that are serving us today? And we don't take it lightly. We don't take it lightly. It means everything to us. And we honor you today. Can we pray for them? Father, we thank you for these men and women and for their families. And we ask God as they risked, as they laid down their life, Lord, as they gave all, they gave time, they gave their energy. Many of them gave up careers to serve this country, to serve us. And Lord, we pray that you would minister and serve them. Jesus, pour back into them as they've given to us. Bless their families, Lord. Touch their children and their spouses and their families. And Lord, if any man or any woman still suffers with results of PTSD and other traumas, we pray for healing in their bodies, in their minds. Lord, we're asking you, God, to set them free, but Lord, we're asking that you administer graciously to each and every one. We thank you for their service and for those that are serving us presently. Be with them, protect them. We ask for your blessing upon our country. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, Come on, let's thank God for our veterans here today one more time. Thank you all. I want to also, of course, thank you for being so generous. Our legacy just completed last week, but many of you have asked, Pastor, can we continue to give? By all means, you can continue to give. It's not a one and done. It wasn't just one weekend. And uh, we're believing the Lord. As we last year, I think we were about 2.3 to 2.5 million in giving for legacy specifically. And we're believing that we'll have a better year than that. And uh, so in uh, December, we'll announce the total. So not exactly sure when, because we have several people that are making uh, some arrangements financially to give to Legacy. And if you're wondering what Legacy is, Legacy is what brings lift to our church. And of course, our tithes and our special offerings. But in particular, Legacy moves our church forward. It lifts our church. We talk about locations. We're talking about expanding our locations here in the Austin Metroplex and around the world. We also, of course, in the next one, we talk about leadership. We have Celebration Leadership Institute, our Bible college, but it's, it's not really Bible college as much as it is a training ground. And a, it's a campus and it's a, a university that will be training the next generation of businessmen and women to take not just their skills into the work world, the merging of ministry and work together, but, but also carrying the presence of God into, into that world. And so we're also excited about the future plans that we have. Many ask, what are we going to do with all of our remaining property? We have 100 and, almost 110 acres, and uh, probably most of it will end up going towards the building of our school. And then lastly, our love initiative, and that is foster and adoption care, and coming alongside single moms and single parents, and getting into that space, and especially those that are not aborting that baby, but are keeping that baby. We're going to be there for that baby and for that family. Can I hear an amen for that? as we have been and we continue to do, but we'll do it at another level. Well, we're going to go into a series. I want to 
I want to talk about for these next couple of weeks. We've got three weeks before we go into our Christmas series. And uh, I want to be emphasizing in these next sermons relationships. How many, how many are going to be with family here in a couple of weeks, beginning with Thanksgiving and then, of course, Christmas? Let me see your hand all over this place. How many know you, you've got two kinds of families? You've got, a, you've got a family by choice, that's the church, and then you have a family by force. That's what God gave you. <laughs> How many wish the Lord would have given you an option on what family you would have been born to in the neighborhood? And then every time you kind of, have you ever woken up going, well, how did I get these people? And remember, they're ever saying the same thing about you. How did I get, how did I get these people? Somewhere, some other church is mocking them. And um, the truth is we do have families. We have families by choice and, and families by force. And, and honestly, the truth is we're, we're really good when we're around family by choice. In other words, when we're around believers and we're around our family as it relates to our friendship circle and our work circle, our small groups, we're really, really good. But let me tell you something. When it comes to our real, if you will, our family by force, our natural family, that's where we see a side of people that we often have to exercise extra grace. And I want to talk about that. Because we're all really good when we're around friends. We're all pretty good when we're in the neighborhood, generally speaking. Some of you. I will tell you a story that happened to me last week. The first service didn't get this extra bonus, but you guys are going to get it. We live next to a golf course. And uh, I was listening to a, a ball game in the backyard. And I, I had the volume turned up. I was watching it on the TV. I, I turned up the volume. Now, I... I and along with the neighbors that live along the golf course, we can have the volume up as loud as we want. I mean, I, I didn't know that there was, a, there was a sound lid. And all of a sudden I hear, hey, turn your blanking TV down. We're trying to play golf. I really thought it was one of my friends. And they were all wearing UT football shirts and our golf shirts I thought they were my friends I, nobody yells at somebody turn your tv down on a golf course or if you live along or close to a golf course I thought they were my friends I went hey your team sucks no I <laughs> I didn't say sucks I just said your team's terrible and I'm not gonna say anything about yesterday but uh I thought they were my friends and I was joking back with them because nobody says that and they went we said turn it down. And they start pointing to their ball. Now I'm thinking, I watched y'all hit the ball. You need anything to help you hit anything better. <laughs> My television or the sound is not making your game any worse. Y'all are terrible and you're fat. But that, I mean, that, I'm not, I'm just telling you, you can judge me if you want, but you do the same thing. And I realize these are not my friends and I don't know these guys. And I also know that some people know that that's where the pastor lives. And I went, okay. How do I want to act in this particular situation? How do I want to respond? How am I going to get out or get into this? And I went, I better go the godly route. And I went 
against my nature. My first birth. I wanted to say something. I wanted to actually go over to the edge of the fence and go, I don't have to, I don't have to do anything. What if, if we, we don't have a pool, but what if I had a pool? What if our neighbor who has a pool, what if they had a big party? Would they have to, every time somebody comes along or comes close to the golf course, you have to keep it down for you terrible golfers? What do you? But I went, mm, I'm sorry. I get it. I turned it down. I was telling my sons this, and they went, why did you turn it down? <laughs> I said, that's the difference between your old man and you, you youngsters. But <laughs> you're going to walk in, and I'm going to walk into environments in the coming weeks, especially Christmas, Thanksgiving. And let me just tell you, it's going to be, maybe for, the, for many of you, it's going to be the first get-together, really, since COVID. Big get-together. Last year, everybody was still spooked out. Everybody was still like, oh, I'm not sure. Even my own family, like, hey, let's just not do anything this year. So I think for many... There's going to be gatherings that have not had any kind of gatherings for maybe a couple of years. Well, I want to go to a story because this story is a post-pandemic type of story. It's a, it's a kind of story of a man who, who we all know. His name is Noah. And the Bible tells us about Noah. He's in Hebrews chapter 11. He's considered one of the great men of God that ever walked the planet. In fact, God talks about Noah, Daniel, and Job as being three men that he would talk to if he had a burden. So Noah is high on the list when it comes to who has power with God, who has God's attention. And of course, we also know he has God's favor. The Bible talks about Noah. He was a man that was easily warned or easily moved by God. He was warned by God about things not yet seen. In reverence, he prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You know something about Noah here, and that is, number one, he was, he was not hard to persuade. When God had a, a thought, when God had a will, when God had his mind, he didn't struggle by faith, even though it had never rained. He had no problem. If God said it's going to rain, God said it's going to rain. And so he doesn't care what anybody thinks. That's Noah. And for 120 years, he prepared an ark in the midst of a world that had never seen rain. How stupid, how foolish. You know he was completely mocked and ridiculed. You know what people were saying about him, but he didn't care. He was moved by God, and he was a man that was very sensitive to God. And so when it talks about by reverence, yes, that word there means fear, but it also just means there was a sensitivity to God. Let me ask you a question. How's your sensitivity level with God today? Are you sensitive? Are you... Uh, are you easily moved by God, or is it something that the Lord's been having to slap you upside the head? How long is that going to work? And just stop. You might as well quit. You might as well just stop being hard-headed, because <laughs> it's not going to work out very good. Noah didn't suffer with having to be forced to do what God told him to do. Noah was not always having to be, in fact, that's what it means, he was not having to be pushed to do what the Lord's will was. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be after 10 years. I get it. I might as well now settle. Or I might as well now submit. How many know that's a completely opposite view of a man or a woman of faith? And he was moved by faith. And the Bible says he, he built or he prepared an ark 
for the salvation of who? His household. If you will, he lived not just to, to protect and to fulfill the call of God and even maybe whoever would get on that ark being the animals, but he was a man that was all about his family being saved. He wanted more than anything else his home, his children, his sons and their wives and his wife, they were in his mind the top priority and the top priority was that they were right with God so that when the Lord judged or when the Lord was going to come, they were ready to stand before God. They were saved. That's all he wanted. Let me ask you a question, especially the leaders of homes. Is that your top priority? Because that should be what moves all of us is... If your family's not saved, if your home is not saved, if your kids are not saved, can I tell you, you need to make that your first and your top priority of prayer, that their eyes are open to the reality that one day they're going to have to give an account of their lives to God. The old theologians would say, we're not just like little bears separated from mama and daddy cub in the woods, or bear in the woods. We're not, we're not just these cubs wandering in life, and God comes down like a mama bear or a papa bear to bring us back home. That's, that, that's not theology, scripturally. We're, it's worse than that. When we left the home, and we left Mama Bear and Papa Bear, understand something, we burned the house down. We trashed the place. And we tried to kill Mama and Daddy on our way out, if you will. So his coming to you and his coming to me, his coming into our world, the Bible says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, was not just, hey, I love y'all, come on back. And then it's like, well, maybe. See, there's no urgency there. There's no urgency. There's no caution. There's no warning. That's why Paul says, I go about warning every man and woman, be reconciled to God, knowing that there's judgment coming, knowing the wrath of God. I warn every man and every woman, get right with God. So there is that angle. There is that understanding. And that's what Noah was aware of, is that God was about to come. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, the Lord saw the wickedness of man and how great it was, and that not only was man doing wickedness, but every intent, every post, every Instagram, every TikTok was continually evil. How many know what I'm talking about? And the Lord was sorry that he had made this arrangement. Have you ever gotten into a relationship that you're kind of sorry about? The Lord was sorry that he made man. And he was grieved. And he goes, you know, I think I'm going to start again. I will blot out man whom I've created. From man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I've made them. But verse 8 tells us what? But, but Noah. Noah found favor. And in that favor, he found protection. He found the covering of God. He found the approval of God. Because the Bible would tell us that Noah was a righteous man. Noah was a man that feared the Lord. Noah was a man that, if you will, not that we had the commandments until later on in the book of Exodus, but if there were the commandments, and, the, and of course the Bible says the commandments of God are written on the tablets of our heart, he knew them and he walked by them. And so he had to walk with God, much like Enoch. He had to walk with God. And the Bible says that as a result, God gave insight to Noah, and he gave him, if you will, inside trader information, that you better build a boat and get everybody that you can on it, 
beginning with your family. Because this is going to crash, this world is going to come to an end, and then I'm going to wipe it clean, I'm going to start all over. Now, I won't judge the world again with water or with rain. Now, the next time Peter says he's coming with fire, he's coming down with a whole different kind of judgment. And that's the Christ where we have in our life. How many are thankful that Christ protects us from the fire? That in Christ, we are protected. We're, if you will, fireproof because of the blood of Jesus and because of that relationship. But the truth is, he says that Noah, as a result of his righteousness and his walk with God and his, and his, his hearing from God and his sensitivity to God. and Let me just fast forward. So Noah builds a boat. And he, of course, not only has to build the boat, he has to prepare all of the wood for the boat. And it's 120 years. And now he's on the boat with the family. And some would say as long as a year they were on that boat. Talk about a shutdown. How many have a hard time going on a three-day cruise with your family, much less a year? Or you're about to go spend a couple of days or a couple hours with family at Thanksgiving. My family, we have it down to where my brothers, when we get together, it's about three hours. We're really good for three hours. And we're like, hey, God bless you. God bless you. And we have a great relationship. But the reality is, is that when now Noah is in this boat and now God comes to Noah and to the family, he says, it's time. It's time to leave. It's time to go. And he goes, I want you to get off the boat. The Lord spoke to Noah and he says, now go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your son's wives. And I want you to bring everything that is on the boat with you that's, that's living. And uh, I want you to start over and I want you to breed. I want you to fill. I want you to be fruitful. And so Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. And the Bible says now going to verse 20 of Genesis 9, you would probably do the same thing. He went to Napa. And he began to farm, and you know what he said? I'm not going to plant tomatoes and artichokes and wheat and boring soybeans and cotton. I want some wine. And he planted a vineyard. Now, you know, you better not judge Noah. But even Paul the Apostle says to Timothy, you are filled with anxiety and you're stressed, and Pepto-Bismol and water is not working for you. He says in the New Testament, take a little wine for your ailment for your stomach. Literally, it means you're anxious and you need to calm down and you need a little something, something. I want to ask right now, how many of you need a little something, something right now? Like, yes! I love this church! This is why I'm here. Now, we're not going to open up a wine bar in the concourse. We'll stop at coffee. But I think that this is so God. Because even, we know Jesus, he started this whole thing, right? He, he saw a failed wedding and he went, guys, I know one thing that will get this party going again. <laughs> and it's not the music. Because Israelites don't play good music. We need good wine. And he takes the water and he turns it into wine. So he plants a vineyard. And of course, this man, 900, he would live to 950 years of age. We could talk about the years, the 120 years of dedication, of focus, of commitment. 
of righteousness. And I'm talking about against every odd, against every kind of attack, every kind of mocking, and every kind of, of just accusation. If there was a man being talked about in the world, it was Noah. A man of faith. <laughs> a man that says it's going to rain. One of those holy rollers. And he was warning people every time he would build that ark and every day he would do what he was doing. He was, the Bible says it, condemning the world, which means you guys are not listening to me. And of course, the world never does want to listen to God. That's the world's system. We don't think we're too big to fail. And if there's something we're all learning in our world today, nothing is too big to fail. Nothing. America is not too big to fail. Our countries are not too big to fail. I mean, corporations and every kind of institution, nothing is off limits to being shaken. And whatever can be shaken will be shaken to reveal what is real. But more importantly, what is eternal and what is important. And so all that to say, he he is in this world, and of course, he builds this boat. He's now planting his vineyard in verse 21, and he had a bottle of what his first fruit batch was, and it was a higher alcohol content than he realized. It's one of those Australian versions, you know, and uh, one of those strong for those that are beer drinkers, IPAs, and, and he, he drank of the wine, and what does the Bible tell us? He got drunk. He had a little too much. Now, we don't know how much he had. We just know that it, it brought him to a place where he became intoxicated and drunk. Now, understand, drunkenness is not just in the form of alcohol. It can happen in the form of pleasure. You can be drunk on sports. You can be drunk as a fan, a fan of football, a fan of anything. You, you can be drunk on politics. In other words, absor- your whole life is about this particular endeavor. And so he becomes consumed with this wine, and it, of course, takes him... And it brings him into a world that he had never known. Now watch this. He's now uncovered inside of his tent. He is naked. He has drank himself naked. How many of you? I'm not going to ask that either. But the brother has lost it. That's what's happened here. That's what I love about the Bible. It shows all the sketchy parts. And, and the other parts. And now he is naked inside of his tent. And so we could talk about nakedness in the Bible, and I don't have time to go in it, but anytime nakedness, especially in the Old Testament, there's the sexual, there's always a sexual connection to it. So there is, and many theologians will say, there's a lot more going on here than just him in his bedroom or in his house with his shirt off, exposed. But I don't have time to dive into that. But the Bible tells us in this state, Ham, the father of Canaan, or Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. Ham, one of his sons, sees his father, and he comes in and he sees the nakedness of his father. And instead of taking his father's nakedness, or instead of taking his father's state of weakness and bringing to him covering or getting him into bed... And maybe by now he's on the floor. Maybe he is, he's not only naked, he's, he's out of the bed. He's on the floor. And instead of taking care of the father, or instead of giving back to the father what he received from the father in the form of protection and covering and care, 
Ham doesn't think about that. Ham doesn't realize, and nor is he aware, that he's alive only because of his father's actions, his father's goodness, his father's faithfulness, his father's work. Oh, now Ham, oh, Ham's become a little self-righteous. Ham's become pretty good at this Christian thing. And so now Ham comes, and instead of covering his father, he goes out, and he begins to call his brothers, hey, Shem and Jepheth. Now, I would say, sometimes I wonder about this story. I think one of the reasons why Ham was mad at his daddy was, hey, if you were named Ham too, you wouldn't like it, especially as a Jew. And so, <laughs> dude, just call me pig, right? Is that, hey, picky, 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 picky. But then Shem's like, hey, you think I got a good name? And Jepheth? But the Bible says he calls and he begins to talk about out loud. He talks about his his dad. And he calls to them. But Shem and Jepheth, the Bible says, they they don't walk in and look at their father's nakedness. It says they find they find a garment, they find some covering, they find some skin. They probably took one of the animals and probably they had to take like Adam was clothed and covered after the fall in the garden. I'm sure that these men knew that story and said, listen, just like Adam had to be covered from his nakedness and it provided warmth and protection and life and future, we better do the same for our dead. And just like God, let's go find an animal skin, let's cover because... This is our dad, and we're alive because of him, and there is no world except because of him. That's why the Bible talks about give honor to those whom honor is due. That's why the Bible says, children, obey, but honor your parents. doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter what they've done. It just means be careful. And so the Bible tells us he, Shem and Jepheth walk in with a garment laid on their shoulders, on both of their shoulders, and they walk in backwards, and they cover the nakedness of their father And not only were they covering the nakedness of their father with a covering and with a blanket or with a pelt, if you will, their faces were turned away. They wouldn't look. They didn't want their eyes to see. Remember when Lori had her first C-section? She had to have C-sections, primarily the first one because of the, the baby, our first son, Mason. She was diagnosed with cancer at seven months pregnant. They had to take the baby a month later. And so in order to get the baby out at that time, they had to do an emergency C-section and So the doctors, Dr. C said, hey, why don't you come up here and see? I went, oh, no. You'll have two issues in this room. And I stayed by Lori. I didn't want to look. I love her on the outside. But I don't love her guts. I love her. I love her soul. I love her spirit. I just couldn't. I didn't want that. I didn't want that image. I I didn't need that. And when you see these two men walk in with their faces turned away and their backs towards, they were walking in, they were, they were doing something that you and I are going to have to do when we walk into rooms here in the next couple of days. Let me finish this story. They walk in backwards, cover the nakedness of their father, and their faces turned away so that they did not see their father's nakedness. And when Noah awoke from his wine, when Noah came to, when Noah finally came awake and alive again, he knew something had changed. He knew something had shifted. He knew something had happened. And he says, cursed be Canaan. Cursed Ham will be your grandkids, your grandsons. A servant of servants. In other words, they're, they're not going to prosper. They're, they're not going to be on top. They're going to be below. 
And then he said to the brothers, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant, and may God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. And Noah lived 350 years after the flood. In other words, what you're seeing is of two, two responses. How are you going to respond when you walk in? Have you, have you ever walked into a room not expecting to see what you saw? How many of you have ever had that happen? Like, whoa, okay, see ya. Probably as children, we've all walked in and seen something. If you've ever been on an airplane, we fly a lot. I've been on many airplanes. You know what? The door says vacant. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> hey, what's up? <laughs> up. <laughs> and so it's not like you have a two-bedroom bathroom on the airplane. I mean, this is full-on. And then they walk by you going back to the room like, or back to their seat like this, you know. We've all, had, we've all had those encounters when we've walked in and we've seen things, we've heard things. We've walked in at Thanksgiving or Christmas or we walked into relational rooms at work or at home and it's like, ah, okay, hi, see you later. Or you've had people walk in on you. And I want you to also remember that this story doesn't just speak to when you see the nakedness of your hero. But what about you when you were once the hero and now you're naked? See, what you have in Noah is a hero. Noah is a hero. The Bible tells us, Old and New Testament, he's a hero. And there is with Noah, of course, great accolades and great honor and great respect but let me tell you something. Every hero has a horrible side. What happens when you walk in on your parents and your parents are not the parents that you thought they were? And you find out something this Christmas or Thanksgiving. Oh, I did not. Whoa, really? So Aunt Judy and Uncle Harry are really not my aunts. They're not my cousins. Uh, and all of a sudden now things, because we could go into the original, in the Hebrew, when it says he saw his nakedness, when Ham saw the nakedness of Noah, what Hebrew scholars will say is he really saw the nakedness of Noah's wife. And so that's a whole nother dynamic. There are those theologians that will tell you that what really happened that night, this is just a thought, that Ham slept either with his mother or his stepmother. And that's why he was cursed. And that's why when he woke up, there was more to the story. And there's some other accounts, and there's some other rabbit trails, and there's some other historical conversations we could have. And every one of you have the same thing in your family. And you're going to find out one day your heroes are not as heroic. And you're going to find out one day that your parents are not as powerful. Or that they, they are actually human. And maybe more than anything else, this story to me, and I want to prepare you for whatever relational room you walk into, don't be surprised. Don't be offended. They're human. Because you and I have also been the Noahs. And people have walked in on you. You sent that email that you didn't mean to send. It's like, oh my God. I should have put a timer on it and thought about it. 
How many have ever sent something? How many have accidentally sent something? Or you thought you were sending the me email, but not to the thousand people in the corporation. Or when you were once on fire for God and committed and you were strong and you were like Noah, you were focused and you were being used of the Lord to bring people to Christ and, and you were bringing homes to, to church to get saved and, and people have been saved as a result of your ministry like Noah and then you find yourself in a night and in a season where you just don't have it like you used to. Let me just tell you, this man walked with God for 950 years, and he had one, all we know is he had one bad day. And does that mean we take somebody and burn them at the stake when they've had a bad day or a bad week or a bad year or a bad season or a bad decade? No, this is what you and I need to become, like Shem and Japheth where we're not going to go the route of the world. We're going to go the route of God because one brings a curse and one brings a blessing. Do you see it? The world's way doesn't go good. The world's way very clearly is post it or put it on whatever your social media content is and talk about it. Or tell family about it. Or tell friends about it. Oh, I'm not saying that there's not discipline. I'm not saying there's not Matthew chapter 18. The Bible talks about this. Watch this. The Bible is very clear that if a brother sins against a brother or sins against you or sister, however that dynamic is, what does the Bible say if there's aught between you and somebody else? Do you go to the church and tell the church? Or do you go to them personally and privately? You go personally. You keep it in secret. That's the law of God. God is never about exposing. He's never about crashing. He's, he's never about bringing it out. He's about containing it. He's about keeping that small. How many are thankful for a God who doesn't want to air your nakedness and my nakedness or my backyard yelling at a guy playing golf? I'll do it myself. I want to give you what the Bible tells us, I think, in Galatians. I want to connect now. I want to connect this story with Galatians chapter 6. And Paul writes this. He says, brothers, he says, if there is somebody that you know that has been caught in a trespass, or they've had a bad day, they've, they're in an issue, they, they've got some problems. And you could go through the list. We don't have time to go through the billions of issues. He says, but if anybody that you know or anybody in your context or anybody that you walk in on, he says, you who are what? Spiritual. See, the way that you're going to handle any kind of challenging relational context or difficult person or difficult scenario or situation is, listen, you better go spiritual. Because Ham went natural. Ham looked at his dad, and he looked at his dad in the context of that night, that bottle, that drinking party, that issue, that world within that tent at that particular moment. You know what he didn't do? He didn't take a spiritual context 
And he didn't come out. He took a natural context and a natural view. And listen, a natural view and the world's view of you and me is always going to say, kill them. Judge them. Destroy them. Finish them. Cut us off. See, that's religion. But notice, he who is spiritual, he goes, brothers and sisters, when you walk into a room and you were not expecting to see and to hear, he says, listen, you better go spiritual. Because why? He says the next word. You who are spiritual, restore. In other words, there's not going to be any restoration. There's not going to be any resolve. There's not going to be repentance. And there's, there certainly is not going to be a, a, a removing of the issue until, until you take this step of going with God in this situation so that the end result is that there's restoration. And then he goes, such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And then when you're in this situation, be careful that you forget about yourself. Look to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You know what? Stop there. Ham thought he was something. All he was was a passenger on his father's cruise boat that he built. He was nothing. But a man, watch this, saved by grace. How many are saved by grace? Who is not saved by grace here? In other words, you're saved by your own power and your own goodness and your own righteousness and your own discipline. Ne'er one. You're like Boudreaux's duck. We're dead. We're dead as ducks. That's where the literal dead duck comes from. Boudreaux and Thibodeau. But God, by his grace, And the Bible tells us if anybody thinks he is somebody when he's really not, he's nothing. He's full of deception. But each one must examine their own work, and then he will have reason for boasting, if there's such a thing, in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. Each one must bear his own load. Verse 6, the one who has taught the word then is to share all good things with the one who teaches them. Think about if Ham would have said, you know what? My father has taught me the way of righteousness. Shouldn't I now be teaching back to the one who taught me the way of righteousness? Shouldn't I now be a giver and instructor? But no, he didn't think about these things. I, could it be that Paul got these words from the context of Genesis chapter 9? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit of God and to the will of God, to the Spirit, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart then. When you're walking in the rooms and you're walking around difficult family and when you're having to do issues and relationship issues, the Bible says don't grow weary in doing good. Don't go critical. Don't go, don't go ham. I really wanted to call this, this message at Thanksgiving how to be a turkey and not a ham, but that's a, that's, a, that's a sad. Don't be a ham. How many like ham for Thanksgiving? Let me see your hand. Okay, well, okay. Sorry. So then while we have opportunity, watch this, while we have a moment of opportunity, let us condemn people and tell them they're going to hell when they've had their bad day, like vodka being spilled right now all over this room. (laughs) Thank you, you guys hit it right on the right moment just when I told you to. Tito's is falling everywhere in this place. I only use that because they're local. Uh, Let us do good to all people. 
especially to those who are what? Of the household of faith. Let me just bring it in another context. Especially to those who are the closest to you. I said earlier, I'm really good to people that I'm not that close to. Nobody in this room has ever seen me manifest, unless you were one of those four, four golfers in the backyard. And even then I didn't. But my kids have. Has your kids ever seen you manifest? And I'm not talking about the glory of God now. I'm not talking about <laughs> shining like white garments on the Mount of Transfiguration. How many have seen your non-hero side? Your, uh, I had too much to drink side. Or I, I'm mad side. And I'm upset side. And I'm offended side. And punch the wall side. I talk about my dad all the time. My dad was my hero. My dad was the greatest man I know. But I also can tell you times where my dad was off after my mom in a drunken anger rage and was going to hurt my mom. And I grabbed my dad and I punched him. And I was playing football at LSU, so I kind of did what they call a short set, like a right tackle. I just went, bam. And he went flying across the room. I was about 280 at the time. And he went flying across the room and he fell into the bathtub of the bedroom. And my mom's like, hit him again. I said, mom, stop. (laughs) Stop. No, no, she said, kill him. Let me go get the frying pan and I will kill him. How many have family like my family? Let me see your hand. All right, see, there's not very many of y'all. That's why you're not preaching. The people that are the best preachers have these kind of stories. And so I'm like, mom, I just probably ended a relationship with dad. She goes, he won't remember nothing in the morning. And I went and picked up my dad. And he looked at me and he says, I'll, I'll never. And my mom's like, he won't remember. So I wake up the next morning wondering if I'm going to be evicted from the house. And uh, he's in there making coffee about 7.30. I don't know if he slept in the bathtub. And it could have happened. I went, morning. Oh, my dad said, good morning. Sleep well? Want some coffee? Hey, what time's the first ball game on today? Never to the day he died did it ever come up. My mom's like, I told you he wouldn't. (laughs) But I'm telling you that story because I have seen, listen, my dad was my hero. But he also had days. He needed covering. He needed mercy. He needed grace. He needed communication. See, what Ham did was he went out and he started communicating in anger and hatred and in disappointment. And I don't know what happened. I don't know all why he went out and did what he did to his father. But the Bible tells us Shem and Jepheth, guess what? They walked in backwards communicating something different than Ham. Let me give you these five real quick from Genesis 9, but I also see it in this Galatians chapter 6. How do you walk in? Okay, so when we walk in, how many have ever stood outside the door of that house or that apartment? You're about to walk in for Thanksgiving. Okay, okay, you ready? Okay, kids, ready? Ready? We can do this. We can do this. Let's go. Ding dong. Hey. Hey. They got masks, no masks. People over there with a vaccine table checking your car. You know, you're... You're going to have, you know, got the political tables. 
Some people be wearing red hats. Some people be wearing blue hats, you know. You know, listen. People that used to be this are now this, and those that were that now are this. How many have that going on? I'm just being real for you. One thing about celebrating, we're not going to be that fake church. We're not going to be, we're not going to be that, because y'all don't walk, you don't walk into fake rooms. You're walking into some real rooms, some real naked people up in here drunk. I mean, the bottom line of the story, you're going to walk into rooms with people that are drunk, naked. And then what do you do? Okay, number one, you walk in spiritually. He who is spiritual. Listen, you better get anointed with the mind of Christ. If not, you know what's going to happen primarily? You're going to be offended. And you're going to want to, instead of blessing them, you're going to want God to curse them. You're going to want God to get them. Especially those that have hurt you. Especially those that have let you down. And you better take the high road. You better go higher. How many are thankful that when Christ looks at you, he looks at you because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit? And he said all the way to the end of his life, Father, what? For give them. For they are not aware. They're naked and drunk. <laughs> they don't know what they're doing. This is Christ. This is Christ. He who is spiritual. Take that road. You've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to need the mind of Christ. We could go on and on. I don't have time. But the Bible tells us, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in what? Walk in love. As Christ loved you and gave himself up for us. He sacrificed for us in our naked, rebellious state. And he offered and he made a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That's a complete spiritual understanding. And he says, guys, I laid down my life and I asked the Holy Spirit to take me. And it was a result of the aroma of Christ. When those two boys walked in covering their father's nakedness, I'm going to tell you, the anointing of Christ walked in. And the blessing of God came upon him. And how do you stay spiritual? Well, Peter tells us, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. For the purpose of prayer. In other words, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you so that you could have sound judgment or wisdom. So that you would walk. That word sober is not just in the context of, of uh of anything alcohol related. It just means that you're walking in, in a, a wiseness of God. You're walking with clarity so that you know how to pray before you walk into those rooms. So that you can offer a prayer that'll hit the target. Number two, walk in gently. Brethren, walk in gently. You who are spiritual, restore in the spirit of gentleness. How many know when you're walking in backwards to anything, you better walk gently? You're like, okay, I'm going to walk in carefully, gently, carefully. In other words, you're, you're not insensitive. And when I see that word gentleness, let me tell you what I see. I also see you're walking in quietly. You're not walking in, there's a megaphone. He knew what he had already done. The Bible says he awoke to his own transgressions. He Knew he was naked. He knew he had already failed. He knew he had already blown it. And you know what? I do believe that when we walk into these rooms, we don't go, whoa, hey, my God. You drunk, boy. No, 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 no. Or, hey, let me tell you about John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he only gave me. And you just start like an auctioneer. 
Hell, devil, judgment, wrath. Hey, you want to pray that prayer? So you don't go to hell, heaven, burn. Yeah, okay. Hey, we got one right here. He did. Most people have been saved by an auctioneer. I'll be honest with you. That's how they, it's like, you get saved? Yeah, a guy came along, and I just gave my life to Christ. That's not God. Okay. Spirit of gentleness, kindness. The Bible says, your gentleness makes me great, God. Let me just say, you're here because of God's gentleness. I want to help you. I, I, I want Celebration Church. We, we are a strong church. We are an aggressive church. We are a growing church. We could go through the various things. We have, we have praise. We have strength. But we're, listen, we are a gentle people because Christ is gentle. He is really good to people. But gentle people are aware of emotions. They're aware of the scenarios and the situations. They're aware of how to walk into a room. Or all of a sudden, when you find yourself in a room, you're, you're, you're not freaking out. It's like when you open up that door in that aircraft and that person's there going to the bathroom. It's like, hey, it's okay. It's okay. You don't go, bam! Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we got a lady back here who doesn't know how to close the door on the bathroom. She knows. She might not come out after that. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. This is the gentleness. Don't speak a word out of your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification. For the need of the what? The moment. Number three, walk in humbly. These boys walked in humbly. Genesis gives us this account with their covering and covering their father's nakedness because they were aware. When they walked in backwards, spiritually, you know how I see this? When they walked in backwards on their father, Noah, you know what they were looking at? All that he had done in the form of 900 years or if you will 120 years of building an ark and they're like who are we they were looking listen when you deal with somebody that you're having struggled with in loving them and honoring them and respecting them and being close to them be careful because there is a context to their life that is not just one day there is a whole story behind the story can I get an amen somebody when I find people that are just distant from God and distant from me, I, I've had over the 32 years or 30 years of pastoral ministry, I'm gonna tell you, I know how people react when they find out I'm a pastor. That's why if I'm ever with you, don't announce. This is Pastor Joe Champion. Celebration Judge with the big cross up on the hill. He's a preacher of the cross. He's a man of God. Show him your Bible, Joe. Show him your Bible. <laughs> And honestly, I've said to people, listen, don't listen to a word these people say. And if they keep talking, I will not even be a preacher or a Christian because I'm embarrassed right now. Be careful because that may just be the trigger. The trigger that we have to be aware of. That's the quietness. That's the gentleness. Here's another one. Walk in humbly. I'm almost done. Walk in humbly. If anybody's in trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. You know why? Because you're aware of yourself looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. 
You know, it's amazing how many preachers preach against this and preach against that, and that's the very thing they're arrested for. Hello, preacher. Isn't that right? The very thing that they're attacking people about, they're in the news. Just the way it works. Because that's what happens in pride. And we think we can't fail. We think we can't go there. Listen, guys, I don't care how long you've been walking with Christ. The Bible says there is a potential pig in all of us that can return to its vomit. (laughs) There is inside of us, if we're not careful, and it comes through pride, a world that we would have never thought we would go into. And that's why we got to walk humbly with God. We've got to stay on our knees and we've got to stay low. What does the Bible say? Low, I'm with you always. I'm with you when you're low. Now, in the sense of your humility. So when people say to me, Pastor Joe, I'll tell you what I did last night. And I'm like, it's okay. God's got you covered. This is what he came to do. Doesn't mean stay in it. Doesn't mean that you can continue to live in sin, though you call yourself a Christian. Doesn't mean that he's, he's happy about that choice. No, 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 he's not. This is my last one. Well, let's just give you these last two. Walk in mercy. Walk in mercy. Walk mercifully. Realizing who you are. Realizing that you need mercy, therefore you give mercy. That's where the sowing and the reaping come in. If you give mercy, you'll reap mercy. If you sow judgment, you're going to get judgment. It's just the law of God. Ham was judged because he judged his father. That's all he's saying. This is the law of sowing and reaping. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. You're a critical person. Criticalness is going to come back to you. You're that person that knows about everybody's business. Guess what? Everybody's going to know that business about you. And then lastly, walk responsibly. Walk in responsibly. What does that mean when I think that particular line? And that is, I have a responsibility as a believer and a Christ follower and a child of God that I have been given this moment to shepherd or to steward or to influence or to impact somebody. God has allowed me to be a part of this room. Who do I want them to see? Do I want them to see the Joe or do I want them to see the Savior? And when you walk into those rooms this coming season or the seasons in the future, you have responsibility as a Christ follower to respond and say it like this. Your response is your responsibility. Your response is not their responsibility. It's your responsibility. Yeah, but Pastor Joe, when they do it, I just go, oh, okay. Well, that's not their responsibility. And now as a carrier or as a man or a woman that says God is inside of me and I have been sent or I have been allowed to be a part of this situation, I want to be the spiritual one. I want to be the one that's going to show God. And so I want to talk to two kinds of people. In fact, I'm going to ask real quickly for every head bowed all over this place. Just just for a moment. I'm not going to take time, but number one, number one, number one. How many want to be that man or that woman that is not the one that is exposing but covering 
those that have walked through or that are in the middle of a very dark season and you want to be the one that can bring restoration. Let me see your hand. How many want God to use you for restoration? And sometimes that doesn't even mean you having to say anything. It just means you're there. Some of you are wondering, should I even go to the Thanksgiving meal? And I got a word for somebody. You're going to go. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Just go. And it's going to bring healing. Just go. Just go. Just make an appearance. But just go. How many can say, Pastor Joe, that's, that really is for me, honestly. I needed to hear that. I need to go. Yeah, yeah. There's hands going up all over this place. And some of you are my cousins. I know. Yeah, that's it. Guess what, guys? Jesus said, we are the salt. We're the light. He's going to help you. Don't worry about what you're going to say in that hour, in that moment. The Holy Spirit, just pray. Give me an anointing that I can be a restorer of a difficult relationship. And then secondly, and then maybe more importantly, how many of you are here with head bowed, eyes closed? How many would say, you know what? I've been in a naked situation or season. And what do I mean by that? I'm not talking naturally. I'm just talking about you've been naked. You've just, you've been off. You've been out. You've been away from God. And you were once, you were once heroic. You were once on point. You were, you were once strong. You were like Noah, man, you had it together. And then, you know what? You just kind of hit a place. You hit a time. You hit a season. You hit an event. You hit a moment where you just kind of, you just let your guard down. I really do believe there's people in this room that God brought you here to tell you, you're covered. You're covered. He covered you when he died on that cross for you. He didn't bring you here today. In fact, you probably wouldn't have come if you'd have known this was the message. He didn't bring you here today or allow you to be in this moment if he didn't want you to know something. To you and from him, he wants you to know you have his favor and you can't lose it. You have his grace. And in his eyes, he looks at you and he says, you're still my Noah. You're still my girl. You're still my boy. And I love you. And I'm going to use you. And I'm going to use this situation to you will go and you will walk into rooms bringing healing to people. How many would say, Pastor John, I've been out. I've been spiritually out. And you know what? Even relationally out. I've been in my own room, in my own tent. And I want God to just, I needed this word today. Let me see your hand all over this place. Yeah. Can we stand to our feet? How many are thankful for a gentle God, a kind God, a merciful God, a responsible God who loves us and who cares for us? Guys, the only thing that keeps us together and the only thing that keeps us all together, it is the grace of God. But watch this. It's His gentleness. And we need to be grateful because if it was His wrath, we wouldn't be here. It's His gentleness. Can we just thank God for His gentleness today? Say this with me, Lord Jesus. Because of Your gentleness, because of Your grace, I am here. You loved me. You covered me. You comforted me. Even in my nakedness, in my weakness, 
in my failure, you still come and you've come today and I receive you today and I thank you that God, you love me and you love me forever. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing this one more time. Oh, my soul.